It's the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Sean Del Grand. And we've got over 800 brand new Mazdas with outstanding incentives, like low monthly lease payments and low APR financing. Yep, it's just a great time to buy. So don't miss the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Financing on approval of credit. You're listening to Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Ted Ramey. A little dump in by Tomas Hurdle to stop by goaltender Anton Kurgobin, so we have a stoppage. Now, Andy Suomelo wins the faceoff. Eric Carlson, cross ice. Meyer in front for breaking Burns. Star! What a play! Brent Burns racing in from his right point position, had that position taken by Timo Meyer. And Eric Carlson's perfect pass across the ice was brilliantly tipped forward by Meyer and knocked in by Brent Burns to tie this game at one with 4.27 to go in the first period. A little dump in by Tomas Hurdle was stopped by goaltender Anton Kudobin, so we have a stoppage. Now Antti Suomelo wins the faceoff. Eric Carlson's cross ice. Meyer in front for breaking Burns. Star! What a play! Brent Burns racing in from his right point position, had that position taken by Timo Meyer. And Eric Carlson's perfect pass across the ice was brilliantly tipped forward by Meyer and knocked in by Brent Burns to tie this game at one with 4.27 to go in the first period. Sharks able to poke it away from them. Neutral zone backskate there for Haskin. Put it off the stick of Suomela. Uh-oh, it's off of Ferraro. Moving in the arm mark in front. Great save by Dell. Oh, my goodness. What a stop in the third period against the Dallas Stars. And that was a golden chance for Kibidanta. Amazing. I think that uh, you see, I think, well, at least two, if not three, that I could think of, of game-changing saves that he made tonight. And... Uh, um, you know, you hear the crowd and you hear, uh, you know, you, the, the, the excitement in the building and the enthusiasm and stuff like that. So I think that the players feed off that. They, de- they definitely feed off it. And I know that, uh, you know, there's going to be breakdowns in a game. And, uh, you know, their guy made a few big stops as well. But uh, uh, you need those saves throughout the, the, throughout the 60 minutes, and it really energizes our team. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Morning Tide. Ted Ramey with you as always. Man, what a wild range of emotions it's been in the world of the Sharks over the last week and a day. If we go back to where I was just one week ago on Monday, still stinging and reacting to that loss to Washington, just an absolute collapse. And, you know, I was, it was, and I don't use the term lightly, but it was, it was a little embarrassing, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to take that out on the guys. I'm never critical of them because I know how hard the, the world of professional sports is, but it's like, you're up two goals with a minute to play, and then you lose. And that's just, you know, trying to recover from that is hard because you're so close to getting those points, and you're so close to notching your biggest win of the year, and it maybe turns into the worst loss of the year, some blowouts notwithstanding. And then a couple nights later, you have a decent performance against the Blues, I thought, and you fight your way back into it, and you just fall short. When all is said and done. And then now you follow that up with two really nice wins. I mean, two wins that we can look at and say, hey, this team is playing better. This team continues to improve. 
a 3-1 win over the Blue Jackets is something, in my opinion, to hang your hat on because you hold any team in an offensively-minded era that the NHL is turning into, even though there are some exceptions, but the Blue Jackets were limited to one goal, and Aaron Dell had a fantastic night. I'm going to be happy with that. I'm going to be celebrating that every single night, especially considering the way the Sharks have been bleeding goals up to some points of this season. And then on Saturday night, you have a second consecutive one-goal performance against one of the hottest teams in the NHL on an emotionally charged night where Joe Pavelski is back in the building. And, oh, by the way, Logan Couture is out for a month and a half at least. At least they're doing this without their captain. They're doing this without the guy who's leading the team in points. That's a big, big week. It's not just that you lose to Washington. It's not just that you lose to the Blues. It's not just that you have consecutive one-goal victories. You've also lost the most important player on the team. Guess what? This Sharks team and this core of players seems to love to find themselves with their backs against the wall and needing to find a response. Although (laughs) it makes our lives and their lives all more stressful, it seems to be something that we consistently see them react to. After they had an absolutely terrible month of October, they responded and climbed their way back into things. And then when they were a little bit comfortable, they collapsed again in the month of December. Pete DeBoer was fired. Bob Bugner takes over. And the team seemed to, again, find themselves in a situation where they were putting their backs against the wall. But now, what we've seen is overall a response and an improvement from the San Jose Sharks. And like I had talked about before, it's not going to happen overnight. But we've seen them win five out of their last nine with a couple of losses in there that I'm not too hurt by. The Washington one was bad. The Blues one, eh, not so bad. Didn't hurt. You're not going to win them all. The loss against the Kings, we go back to the this side of Christmas, I'll say. That was a bad loss. Loss against the Red Wings, eh, you only give up two goals. Could be a whole lot worse. And we're seeing improvement from the Sharks team. That's what I have been looking from. And I've said all along, I'll take the win streaks. That's fine. But I want consistent play. I want you to win two out of three. I want you to win three out of five. I want you to win five out of nine. I'm not, you know, especially with an overtime loss in there or two, I should say. You're not going to be crushed by that. That's not going to destroy you. And that, to me, means you're getting points in seven out of nine games, which I don't have a problem with. And it also speaks to the fact that this team can play at a higher level than what we've seen over the course of this year. And the fact that they've done these last couple of games without Logan Couture, that to me means even more. Because this is, again, another situation where this team is being put with their backs against the wall. They put themselves in this situation. I'm not going trying to say anything else, but they are responding at a point when they've needed the most response. Firing Pete DeBoer was a huge wake-up call. I mean, for Doug Wilson, that's the nuclear option, right? I mean, you can only play that card once. You can't do that over and over and over. You can take guys out of a game. You can put a guy on a lower line. You can make a switch at goalie. You can do all sorts of things to the team in and of itself. 
But when you fire the head coach and his staff, you are sending a message to the team. You are demanding a response, or you are demanding to know the reality about the guys on the ice. Are the core players of this team the type to react and respond and acknowledge that that was a wake-up call and that they all need to be better, or are they going to wilt? And so far, the Sharks, in my estimation, they have not wilted. They have not been perfect by any means, but they have improved. They've been open to changing. They have been taking advantage of opportunities. Aaron Dell, the most obvious one. This is a guy that I don't think any of us had the utmost confidence in. We hadn't seen a big sample size of what he could bring, but I think people said to themselves, I've seen him in limited quantity. I don't think he can be the guy. Well, suddenly Aaron Dell's getting this opportunity that he never had before, and guess what? He's looking like the guy. He's looking like a shutdown goalie. He's having high caliber performances in big games against good teams. That Dallas team came in red hot and Aaron Dell made big saves, made big stops, came up in huge moments and put the Sharks in a position to win. And also that's a credit to the commitment to defense for 60 minutes we're seeing from the Sharks. We didn't see that earlier in the year. We saw the Sharks kind of feeling that they would be able to score the goals, outdo the opposition, rely on their talent, and it wasn't working, and it was putting the Sharks in losses after losses after losses. The Sharks are coming to grips more with the reality that it's going to be a little bit more of a grind. It's going to have to be a little bit more conservative. It's going to be a little less risky, and it's maybe not going to be as high scoring, but they're going to put themselves in a better chance to win these games. When you combine the style of play we've seen Bob Bugner implement with an uptick in performance from the goaltender, it's not surprising that we're seeing more wins. Because the other side of the coin of what we'd seen from the San Jose Sharks this year was work from the goalie that was not good enough and play on the ice that was putting the goalie in a bad situation, and it all combined to a whole lot of losses. That's not shocking, and that shouldn't surprise you. If you play a risky game combined with work from the goalies that is not at its highest level, I mean, what do you expect to happen, right? Now, I think the expectation in the minds of the players was that this would correct itself, that the talent would take over, that the goals would come, that you can bleed goals a little bit and you can outscore it just like they did last year. Well, the Sharks don't have the depth at forward they have this year. They don't have Joe Pavelski, most accurately. Logan Couture's hurt right now. And so, obviously, the team has had to adjust to those issues along with the fact that they're not scoring goals like they were previously. And it's hard to tell athletes that what you did before that worked is not going to work now. What previously led to success is no longer going to lead to success, not unless we change things. And now you're seeing a more active Brent Burns. You're seeing, again, less risky play. You're not putting your goalie in a bad situation. You're making your defensive structure have a little bit more confidence and feel like they are not the last man standing. You're playing a brand of hockey that, for the time being, and hopefully for the time going forward, is yielding a higher level of results for the Sharks. I mean, that's just what you have to expect 
when you put a new interim head coach in command. You have to change things up. You can't bring in a new mind, a new voice, and say we're going to do things exactly the same. You have to make changes. You have to shake things up because it goes beyond, like I said, the nuclear option of firing the head coach. It has to go beyond that. It can't be just one aspect. You have to bring about a different perspective. You have to bring about a different scheme, a different design, a different plan. And you have to get the players to buy into that plan and show that it can yield results. And again, five wins and two overtime losses in the last nine games is a stretch of play that I am not unhappy with, considering particularly how the team played in October and how the team played in December. We've seen one good month of hockey from the Sharks this year. That was the month of November. That so far has been an aberration, let's be honest. The majority of the hockey we've seen from the Sharks this year has not been of that caliber or of that quality. Now, however, we are seeing the Sharks build upon something that to me does not seem as overall, I don't, I don't want to say gimmicky, but left up in the air. When you look at the month of November, there were signs of band-aidism, I guess for lack of a better term, but there were, you know, some hairy games. The game against the Wild, for instance, or you want to talk about, you know, all those Saturday nights at home with overtime and shootout wins. The overtime wins in general. It was not dominance. It was up in the air as to what was going to happen. But if you look at the, the Dallas game, the most recent example, even though the Sharks put themselves in a bad situation with, yeah, I mean, Evander Kane got the got a bad call there. But still, you take a penalty 52 seconds into the game, you're down one nothing shortly thereafter, and you're at a deficit at home. You've got to find a way to react. Well, guess what? After the first five minutes of that game, in my opinion, the Sharks were in command. Now, the offense maybe wasn't there the entirety of the night, but you need to recognize that the Sharks controlled that game and a big part of that was the fact that they were playing really good defense it's not like they were perfect but they were playing really good defense you combine that with some really big stops from Aaron Dell and you get goals from Brent Burns and Patrick Marlowe two guys you expect to provide production and it's a little bit more of what you would expect to see from the San Jose Sharks you expect Patrick Marlowe to score because he's ageless you expect Brent Burns to score because that's what we've seen him do for so much of his career with the San Jose Sharks. He is an offensive-minded defenseman. What you haven't expected to see is limiting the opposition to one goal. And now that's happened in consecutive games. And now we've seen the defense continue to play a different style and continue to be better overall. And I know that the argument is, well, yes, Ted, even though the Sharks have invested all this money in Brent Burns and Eric Carlson in particular, they're not going to be the same type of a defenseman as you get from a Mark Edward Vlasic. I understand that, but they're still both very, very capable defensemen and the style that they play can help you dictate and control the overall aspect of the game, even if they are not quote unquote shut down defenders or not again, what we would see from particularly Mark Edward Vlasic when he's at his best. It is different. I acknowledge that 100%, but it was still used to control the game. I thought that the Sharks worked Brent Burns more actively. And having an active and involved Brent Burns on the ice is only going to yield more results for the San Jose Sharks. No doubt about it. His 
lack of production and his overall lack of productivity for the earlier parts of this season were, in my opinion, that's a huge factor if the team isn't playing well. How do you get him going? That was a huge question for Bob Bugner, and we've seen at this point the start of the tactical response to it and a more active Brent Burns, a more involved Brent Burns, and a more productive Brent Burns is only going to yield more positivity and productive results from the Sharks. In other words, wins. All right, let's take a break from me for a few minutes, and we go out to the phone lines where we are now joined by the color commentator on the TV and radio broadcast for the San Jose Sharks. It is Jamie Baker. Bakes, Happy New Year. What's going on, man? How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. Good to, uh, well, one, we, we bypassed each other at the game last night, so it was nice to see you, and it's nice to hear you, and it's nice to... I don't know. It's a good. This is a good Sunday in the Bay Area today. It is. Everybody woke up today like you're like the Niners won, which is obviously paramount to most sports fans. But and the Sharks won, and it was like a great like last night was maybe the coolest coolest night of the year at the uh, Shark Tank at SAP Center. Like it was just uh, everybody was in a good mood coming to the arena mm-hmm. because of what happened in the you know how the game played out. The Niners, of course, beat Minnesota. And then uh, Joe Pavelski's return. And then I don't think people realized um, that it was Patty Marlowe's 1,700 game it's... and that he was the fifth player in the hist- history of this league. This league's been around for like over 100 years. The fifth player to play 1,700 games. It's like incredible. And he's... So it was like a really – he's a special – and he gets the game-winning goal. So it was like a really special night last night. It was really cool. It, yeah. Like what – yeah, it was like one of those nights that, like, sports, you're like, this is why I like sports. You know what I mean? Well, it was like a cool night. For sure, especially when we look at today, Sunday, versus how we felt last Sunday, which was on pace to be the best win of the year, and then it turned into just an absolute <laughs> gut kick, and it just, you know, you felt awful, and then you're able to continue on with a good week of growth from the Sharks that, like you said, kind of reached a nice peak last night. And, you know, like you said, Pavelski getting the, you know, everybody showing him the respect and the applause that he is due. And it was great to see. I thought that was awesome. And more than that, though, the, the Patty Marlowe stuff. I mean, it is, you know, he can play as long as he wants to go, it seems, because he's just got legs for days and he's still remarkably fast but like you said i'm not sure everybody quite processed that fact that if he keeps on playing there's a you know he's gonna be the all-time you know leading games played in nhl history which i can't really wrap my head around that because like you said it's the names that he's being associated with and just the the overall number like 1700 like that's like a that's the calories in a big dinner that's not games played you know right yeah that's like (laughs) That's full rack of ribs, not half rack. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. I always, I always get full rack. Yes. In my mind, I order full rack thinking, this is my justifying it. I'm going to, sh- like, I can share. Like, ribs are easy to share, right? You just cut it off. Here, anybody want a rib? So, really, it's like I order a full rack with the idea that I'm going to eat three-quarter of a rack, but ultimately... I eat a full rack. So I get the 1,700 colors. (laughs) 
but it's a it's, just in case you're just in case you're wondering. Well, no, I mean, I you know, we're, that's one thing that uh, I'm pretty confident in, Jamie, is your ability to eat large <laughs> amounts of food because I think that's yeah. one part of the athlete that never goes away. But yeah, man, I mean, right? it was. It was it was pretty cool tonight last night. I think you're right. I think there was a good vibe going into it, and I I love watching what the sharks are evolving into right now. Because I got to admit, when you and I were talking in September and kind of doing our season preview here on Morning Tide, I don't think we expected things to be where they are right now. I did not expect Bob Bugner to be the interim head coach. I did not expect that Aaron Dell would be evolving into the guy who is you know just turning into a shutdown goalie I did not expect that you know that right off the start of the season you were going to have a suspension to Evander Kane and that Eric Carlson was going to be dealing with all sorts of stuff in his personal life with the birth of his child and Logan Couture going down I mean this it's it's really been a topsy-turvy season up to this point and then to watch things settle in light of the recent injury to Logan Couture which just sucks because he'd been playing so well and he's just a great guy and it's his first year with the C but I mean, you liked what, you know, things have turned into, and last night was a good example of that. Well, they had they were playing a team, Dallas, who had the second longest winning streak in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tampa had won earlier in the day, so they had won 10 straight. Dallas had won six. They'd given up eight goals. That's it. In the last six games. So if you're going to beat them, like you go in, you got to go in with a mindset. You're like, well, we're not, this isn't going to be a 5 4 game, guys. So we better, we better, like, you know, shut the hatchet and close the door and, you know, hunker down and play some really good defense here. Like, if we want to win this game. Because if we give up, if we give up three, we're probably losing. If we give up two, there's a good chance we're going to lose. These guys, they'd only given up eight goals in six, in six games. So that's what they did. And if you go back to the L.A. game after Christmas, they lost that game in overtime, 3-2. to two. So they only gave up two, go- two goals in regulation, right? They've now given up two or less goals in seven of the last nine games in regulation. And that includes the, you know, debacle in Washington. Yeah. Where they'd only given up, they'd only given up two goals for the first 59 minutes. So, and even then, they didn't give up. They only gave up two goals, even like five on five, even strength. So the other two, like one was in overtime, and then two of them were six on five. So when you look at it, I talked to I talked to Boogie, Bob Bugner, head coach. It's so hard to not call him Boogie because I've always called him Boogie. <laughs> Played against him and we get right. Um, so for anyone who's listening, the Boogie man, interim interim head coach. He, I, um, when, what was it? Yesterday was Saturday, so Friday. Went to practice. Asked him if I could talk to him after, just one on one, just get his thoughts on things, you know. And he's so open to it. He's great. So he, I asked him about the tweaks he's done and he actually like whiteboard and it was interesting. He actually talked about the offensive tweaks. Like I said, what, what tweaks have you done that you've liked so far? Mm-hmm. And then, and then it was like, 
it was heading into a basically a four game segment, you know, heading into the break because you get a week off. So it was like, and it's a pivotal. This is pivotal, right? Like you've got four teams from the Western Conference. You're chasing them all. In particular, you know, Arizona and Vancouver are the two biggest games, of course. So you're you're playing better. What 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 do you like? Like would you like? I I kind of knew. I just wanted to hear from him, right? Mm-hmm. So he and he he whiteboarded the offensive. And then, which was first, I said, that's interesting that you, and I said to him, I said, I find it interesting that you said the offensive first. Because to me, if you don't play better defensively, the offensive part doesn't happen. And he's like, you're right. But I, he, he thought the offensive adjustments have been a little bit more significant, the tweaks, mm-hmm. <clears throat> to allow them to sustain pressure in the offensive zone. So he's moved F3. So F1, F2, forward one, forward two, they're on the four track. F3 is now in the mid to high slot. So he's moved him from where Pete had him. Pete DeBoer had him a little bit lower. Yeah. Like really high pressure. That's a full, that's a three, that's a F1, F2, F3. That's a full 200 foot game. So if you, if you're off, one guy's off and there's a gap. And that's kind of what was happening. So this is, this is, this is a little more sustainable. And it's also probably plays a little bit more into this team. And then the other facet is um, when F3 is higher in the offensive zone, it really like the, the, the defenseman can see him there, you know, as, as opposed to being lower, they're more apt to pinch. Like they just, they know they're covered. Yeah. And, you know, you just, we saw Burn, we're seeing Burns more active in the offensive zone. So you just, you, you know, even Ferraro's, you know, Mario Ferraro is more active. Like you, he's you know pinching. He, I, there was a shift last night. He was really good. It was like he pinched down the wall, like really early. It was an early pinch because he knew he was he knew he was covered. He didn't have to. You don't have to wait to see if somebody's going to backtrack to have to have you. You know, so that's it. That's an adjustment. And then the defensive zone. Um, I'll steal the, the words Hetty Hetty Brad Hetty can use this all the time. Like it's hold and go. Like. Um, for me, it's inside the dots, and they're they're taking care of. Inside. It's almost like it's it's a it's a penalty kill mentality. I asked Doug Wilson before Christmas. I'm like, I've never seen a team like this. I've I've, I've talked to hockey people, like other analysts, like you know when we run into you know in the morning, like you know in the morning skate yesterday, you know Daryl Ray. I said I've never seen anything like this. Number one penalty kill in the league, like. I think we're 20, I think going into yesterday, there were 26 goals against in the league. But it was like 29th and 30th for a while. It's like, how can you be so good penalty killing and so bad <laughs> goals against in the league? It doesn't make sense, right? Other no. than it's, it can only, it's only one thing. It's mindset. When you go five on five, you think you're the Harlem Globetrotters. So now they don't. They don't think they're the Harlem Globetrotters. So they're not playing. The, the, they're they're taking less. They're taking the high risk plays out of their game mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, Carlson and Burns are still going to do them. That's who they are. But we're seeing less of that. But in the defensive zone, they're like focused on inside the dots, and like it's like everybody regroup inside in front of the net, and then we'll expand from there. And it's like it's when you watch it, like. 
you'll notice I'm doing it. Like, uh, there's no secret here. I'm not like letting out a secret. Like other teams are gonna figure out. <laughs> but that's the that's the prime real estate in hockey. It, you know what I mean? Like, to, so long, long, long answer, but kind of an explanation of what's changed. Like in the last nine games, they've given up two or less goals seven times in regulation. That's that's. That's winning hockey right there. That's how you win. That's how you win. It's like in football. If you give up seven to ten points, you got a good chance of winning. You and, know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And when Just you combine way. that with what Dell has been able to do, and listen, I'm in no way giving up on Martin Jones because I think that he has been a very, very good goalie, and I think that he can refine that form. But the way that Aaron Dell has been playing, I mean, it's been remarkable. He made some huge saves last night. He's very confident when he's handling the puck and trying to, you know, just get it out of there in a hurry, and he does a good job of that, feeding his guys. What do you see in Dell, and why did we not see this previously? Is it just the fact that he's getting more time on the ice, or is this more of just a development that was maybe a, a long time coming? How, how are you viewing it? Well, he came out and he actually said that he didn't think he got – this opportunity with the previous coaching staff. That's what he said, right? So I'm just going to – I'm going to take it from him. Mm-hmm. He's. I don't think he's ever – like. I don't think he was ever given a true, true, true opportunity to be the number one guy. I Like, I go back to last season on New Year's Eve – Sharks played in Calgary. So it was a huge game. I think there were one, two in the standings at the time. Mm-hmm. Vegas was in the mix too. And, and Pete played Dell. And it was kind of interesting. It was like, Oh, this is interesting. Like, why would he play Dell tonight? Because they didn't play the night before. It wasn't back to backs. And it was New Year's Eve. It was like, it's a big game. Like New Year's Eve is kind of a bigger game. Like, I don't know why it just is like end of the year or whatever. Um, and the fact that he's playing Dell, we were all like the broadcasters were all like, okay, this is like, he's throwing him a ball in here. This is like, that's what he's doing. He's and Dell, you know, he laid an egg. He didn't play very well. And then that was it. Then he went back to Joe. Like he never, he never was like said to Dell, like, Oh, you're going to get the next four games. And if you play well, you're the number one guy that didn't happen. Yeah. Where I think Bob Bugner's come in and said, He's not He's not saying that. He's like, whoever plays better is the number one guy. I don't care. I don't care what your name is. <laughs> I, just, I don't care what your number is. I just want a goaltender who's going to make the key saves at the right time. Yeah. And this is an opportunity of a lifetime for Aaron Dell. It just is. So, like, you, your whole life, you want to make the NHL, and then you want to establish yourself as a key part of a team. Like that's, you know, that's what you want. And for a goaltender, it's to be the number one guy. And he's never really been given this opportunity. And it's a contract you're on. So, and he's had Nabokov up before as a, as a goalie coach, you know, when he was in the minors. Yeah. So there's, there's some familiarity and comfort level there. It's... And then he goes out and you, you know, like confidence is, I, I always say this, you know, like, You've been around pro sports your whole life. Like, anybody who says, oh, yeah, like, 
you go get confidence. No, you don't. You earn confidence. Confidence isn't given to you. You earn it. At, and at the highest level, it's hard to it's hard to earn the confidence. But when you do, you know you did it because you know you earned it. It's like the 49ers. They have a swagger now. They haven't had a swagger for years. But they earned it. And they can do whatever they want. They can do they can take all the post game selfies and everything because it's good. It's like a swagger. It's a confidence. It's like we're we're gonna beat you. We're better than you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, see, there's different ways you can go about go about it. But like right now, I'm seeing Aaron Dell. He's got a little bit of swagger in his game, and it's a good thing for him. It's a good thing for the Sharks. And you know what? It's a good thing for Martin Jones because he needs to be pushed. So this is this the the best thing that can happen to the Sharks and for Bob Bugner is that there's a goaltending controversy of who the number one is because you have two number ones just like Dallas. Yeah. That's the best that's the best thing that can happen here. So Dell playing great is gonna push Jones to be better. And that's good for him because he's a competitive guy. You don't get here without being competitive. And it's good for the Sharks. Brent Burns last night when talking to us in the scrum, no irony, no BS, no tongue-in-cheek, says every game from here on out is big. Because the Sharks have put themselves in the hole bakes, does this kind of feed into some of the mentality we've seen from this team before where when you do push this core against a wall, they do respond? I think we're seeing that. It's an interesting development. It's to be continued. Um, as Pete DeBoer said, like, every group is different. Every year is different because you got, you know, different. There's always a few tweaks here and there. But, yeah, there's – I don't know. I, can only, I, can, I can't always speak for other guys. I can only speak for myself. But – and I'm sure, again, like, you've been around sports. Like, you get guys that – at this level, at the highest level, you're kind of like competitive addicts. Like you, you're, you're like junkies <laughs> from a competitive standpoint. You know what I mean? Yeah. You hate, you literally hate. So you like, it gets to a point. It's like, they're like, this is friggin' embarrassing. And, every, and they hunker down, you know? So sometimes like, that's what St. Louis did last year. You know, but it doesn't guarantee anything. Like you don't you don't set yourself up to be in a hole, but it's definitely forced them. So there's like the standings, the goals against. I mean, Doug Wilson's never done. It's it's hard to believe he's never fired a coach or any coach midseason for as long as he's been here. He's never done that, and he fires four guys, like. If you're a player, you go, I'm like kind of responsible for that. I kind of cost four guys jobs because I wasn't playing very good or whatever. Like there is, you have to take some responsibility. <clears throat> and they were good guys. They were popular guys. Like they, the guys liked them. I mean, in the news, the new, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to talk about, you know, the previous regime and then the current one. Because they're they're all good people. Yeah. But the bottom line is, one of the reasons you fire coaches 
is you send a message to the players. That's like one of the things, it's like a card a general manager has. And he, and Doug used it. And it's like, you, you never want to show your hand, but he had to show his hand. It was like drastic measures required drastic responses. You know what I mean? So that's what he did. And I think we'll see if they continue, but they like, they have to, they have to they have to win one of the like Arizona Vancouver they have to win at least one of those games. That's huge. You can't lose both of them. Yeah, you can't lose both of those to those teams because then you, then you're losing it's like a four point game. So these next three games are huge. But I liked I asked Boogie, you'll love this. Um, so I asked Boogie, I said, so do you look at this next four games? Like he's got four games like every other night, or actually two days between games, and then every other night, and then there's like eight days. So you look at this as you could short your bench or anything. And he goes, actually, we want uh, our preference because guys are going to be wrestling, right? Yeah. He said, actually, we find the team plays better when we go with four lines. I'd like to get the fourth line going about 10 minutes if I, if I could. If they're, if, they're, if they're playing well, he goes, when we, when we go down to three lines, um, when we shorten our bench – I start to cheat a little bit. That's mm-hmm. what he, that's what he's found, and this is like kind of more in analytics and stuff you see in video. Like you, this isn't even necessarily the eye test. Like I might not even notice it that much. You know what I mean? Like I might not. You and I might not notice it. Like they're more hardcore fans. So this is like where you know a guy doesn't react quite as quick on a back check, like for one second, but that one second might mean inside body position on a defenseman for the other team that's joined the rush. So stuff like that. And so he, you're just pressure and he, he thinks the team just has a better rhythm and flow when they go with four lines. So I don't, the best, I find it interesting. And that's, that's what he's, you know, that's what he wants to go with heading, heading into the break. Which well. is kind of, it's, it was, it was kind of cool. Like I was like, good. And it keeps, Makes the fourth line guys feel important too, you know. There's for, kind of a team chemistry there, for sure. And that, I mean, that idea it just speaks to the unforgiving nature of the NHL, which you, you know, you talk about that a lot during the broadcast. Bakes, you say if you make a mistake, it's going to get highlighted and you're going to be punished for it. And that's if you have that fourth line contributing, that changes the entire dynamic. Everybody's fresher, and like you said, those small things that you and I might not see in real time, that can be the difference maker in a game like we saw last night where it's a 2-1 hold on to the seat of your pants until, you know, the final horn sounds. But, you know, they didn't make those critical mistakes or at least they were able to put themselves into a position to not get punished for those critical mistakes. So it's going to be fun, Bakes. I will let you go, man, because I know you got you got plenty of stuff to do. You're a busy man, but it's always a blast uh, talking shop with you, man. And uh, I, will see you, uh, I will see you soon. Yeah, thanks, Ted. Jamie Baker, everyone, who is just the best. I always have a blast hanging out with Bakes and uh, love talking hockey with him and everything with Bakes, whether it's philosophy, rock and roll, whatever it is. He and I always have a good time. But I'd imagine everybody who hangs out with Bakes has a good time. He has that effect on people. But uh, looking at the immediate future for the Sharks, you have three huge games coming up against opponents in the West two of which are particularly huge, obviously those in the Pacific 
And that is going to be Tuesday night when you're in Arizona taking on the Coyotes. Then Saturday night in Vancouver taking on the Canucks. And those bookend a game against the Avalanche on Thursday night. So three big games, Western Conference opponents, two of which are in your division. It's a huge opportunity for the Sharks to go into the break with positivity. Now, previous road trips for the Sharks this year, particularly when they've gone east, it hasn't been the friendliest to the Sharks. They haven't been defined by success. So this is another opportunity for the Sharks to continue to right the ship. And the thing about the Sharks right now, and I'm going to put this with the comments of Brent Burns saying every game from here on out is a big game, the Sharks are not going to surprise anyone, but I do feel that in a relative way, the pressure is off the Sharks because they're dealing with injuries. They don't have Logan Couture right now. They've had a change at the head coach. They have made the switch to Aaron Dell as the number one guy for the time being. The team has underperformed, and they're not in the midst of the playoffs right now. So while everybody else is trying to hold on to their relative position, the Sharks can take care of their own business and climb back into it. And I know that seems like the obvious sense of the matter of, yes, well, they've got to climb back into it. No one was ever saying that they couldn't. They're not part of the picture right now, and I'm tired of making comparisons to St. Louis because that's it's over and done with. That was an aberration. And if the Sharks managed to climb that same mountain, okay. But that's not what this is right now. The Sharks need to be taking one game at a time. The Sharks need to be playing better hockey from one game to another. You can't just pick and choose which nights you're going to be committed for 60 minutes. You can't just pick and choose which nights you're going to play hard or you're going to play soft. You can't say we're tired. You can't do any of this. The Sharks are in a position where everybody's looking at them as being a lower-tier team right now. They're not getting the same spotlight. They're not getting the same pressure. They're not getting the same attention. Take advantage of that. Quote-unquote surprise teams. And maybe when you've lived up to the expectations and people start taking you for real again, then you can start to feel some of that pressure again to maintain a level of excellence that we're accustomed to in terms of the style and the results on the ice. But for right now, the Sharks have lowered expectations when it comes to the rest of the hockey world. Use that to your advantage. Be an under-the-radar team for as long as you can. Because as soon as the Sharks, which I think they can, as soon as they flip that switch and suddenly everybody recognizes, oh, this team has found itself, then all the pressure is going to be on the Sharks once again. Can they make their way back into the playoff race? Can they do what St. Louis did last year? Can Aaron Dell keep this up? Can Eric Carl? I mean, we know how this story goes. If the Sharks turn it on and climb back into the playoff race, then the pressure is going to come hard, heavy, and often. But until that point, just fly below the radar. Just be plucky, for lack of a better term. Arizona, Colorado, Vancouver, then you get a big, big break. The other part of that break, it's time where Logan Couture is getting healthy, where you're not playing games. And that's also a huge part of this for me, and I'm sure for Doug Wilson as well, is how is this team going to play without Logan Couture? Is he going to view Logan Couture coming back as part of like their acquisition? Or is he going to say that he can add another piece to this? It's all very intriguing. It's all very, very intriguing. A lot of decisions yet to be made. A lot of games yet to be played. And that's why, even though we've been relatively disappointed up to this point of the year, there's still a lot that can happen. And considering, again, what I've fallen back to time and time again this year, 
the amount of talent the Sharks have, it should be enough. But now you've got three big games going into the break where you have a huge opportunity to prove not just what you are as a team in terms of your fight, but what the team is capable of. How good can you be? Can you take two out of three against these conference and divisional opponents? Can you take three out of three? Zero out of these next three, eh, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow. One out of three, not as bad as it could be. Two out of three, that's a success. Three out of three, I'm greedy, but it's possible. It's possible. So we'll see where we are in a week's time. All right, a big thanks to Jamie Baker for taking some time out of his Sunday to talk with me, and a big thanks to all of you for tuning in as always. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey signing off. 